Welcome back, everyone, to another Sporting Blog podcast. It's Monday, and we have a very busy week this week, actually. Um, so we're starting off with a good guest, a really good guest. Um, Georgie Frost is with me, um, journalist, broadcaster, sport, finance, you name it. I'm going to let her do an intro herself. But first off, Georgie, what do you think about dry cleaners? Dry cleaners? Yeah. Um, never buy anything that you need to dry clean, nor iron. Uh, I'm not very domesticated. I've not been asked that before. I do have to say, though, I'm rather impressed that I was a good guest. I would have rather liked to be in a great guest, but we'll, we'll go with good. That's fine. It's, it's so, still Monday. What's the link with dry cleaners? I, well, I had a tragic text message from my dry cleaner just before we went on air, literally minutes before, um, saying that we've had to close and unexpectedly had to close and it's one of a lot it's a large chain of dry cleaners um i presume they've got corona issues or something but it got me thinking you know is that is a huge first world problem but is this a valuable service that i need you know i'm not sure whether to be upset about the dry cleaner going or not but um you're, you're right about the clothes however because at the moment obviously everything we buy we tend to use and then bin and then buy some more right are you one of those are you, absolutely uh, not i'm no. very against fast fashion anybody Good. that's seen any of my um i was on a show recently plank of the week talk radio show and one of my planks of the week where we get to pick three people or businesses or things that we we don't like very much and one of mine was fast fashion and that's exactly what you described there no no if i buy clothes i buy them for a very long time <laughs> but i buy smart don't buy clothes that you have to dry clean well look we'll get into some of this stuff because um we are talking largely in the sporting capacity because we are a sporting blog um mm. but of course you are just as well known at the moment for doing uh, your financial podcast so just before we go into all that detail do you want to give our listeners the millions of them that will be tuning into this yep just yep. a, a quick sort of rundown of of what you're up to at the moment uh, and how you got here. Oh, the Georgie Potted history. Yeah. Um, well, I started out as a sports broadcaster way back when in the Northeast. So I cut my teeth with the likes of Roy Keane and Kevin Keegan. Oh, Roy Keane at Sunderland <laughs> and Newcastle. Uh, what a place, what a patch to do sport. And then I moved to the BBC and then I'm um, quite famously a I wrote a piece about the fact I had a quite a serious back issue, which made me have to reassess how I was going to go forward with my career. Driving around as a sports reporter was not going to fly with a broken back. So I rehabilitated, came back to London, and uh, I thought, while I'm here, I'm going to need to do some work. That's generally what one needs to do to get some money. And I saw an advert for people that know anything about radio. And at the time, I was at BBC London doing sport, absolutely loved it. Uh, and so I freelancing and so I um, I just I, I applied uh, and they got in contact and said um, it's a financial radio station and I spoke to my friends about it and they went um, are you having a laugh like you know have you seen the state of your finances um, and I have no background in finance at all I was a sports broadcaster um, and I don't know why I said yes but I, I praise my gumption I think it was for going yeah do you know what? why not so come November uh, 2014 having very little background in finance i.e none um i started presenting my own radio show on a brand new financial radio station um for four hours every day uh which was quite amusing at the start because bear in mind anyone that knows anything about radio um it's it can be tricky enough when you've got all the mod cons and you know your fully working station but this was everything was from scratch but i, I persevered I, I must have asked some rather dodgy questions like how did you get into pensions? Because when you have half an hour to fill with someone who's a pensions yeah. expert and you're not a pensions expert, um, you do kind of run out of things to say. However, thankfully, uh, within 18 months, I was named the UK's financial broadcaster of the year. And I guess the rest is history. And I made a decision then because I was working alongside doing sports broadcasting as well, that I would do more financy stuff. And I still do both now. So I, I now work for the Times, uh, Times Money Mentor website. I write for them. I uh, have been do doing a podcast with the Mail, all about personal finance. It's called This Is Money, and it's I think in the top five 
business iTunes things. So that's doing rather well. Um, and I also do all sorts of other things like hosting events and webinars. And recently I, I did a sports and business webinar. I've been on ITV talking about sports and business because what do you do when you've got a background in sport and a background in business? You do both. So now I am, well, I suppose three hats that I wear um, at the moment. Cool. Well, I think that's just a lesson to everyone that, you know, you can be adaptable and you can move into... Just say yes, people. Just say yes. You know, yeah, what's well, the worst exactly. thing that could happen? Well, now, there's actually um, lots of worst things that could happen, but let's not think about those things. You mentioned um, mm. your time up in Newcastle. Um, Newcastle. Yeah, I'm trying to... Look, I mean, this happens to me in racing all the time is that, you know, I sort of come strolling into the room and talk about Doncaster Racecourse and I get, you Ooh. know, pretty much mm. put in my place all the time. Um, so Newcastle, um, breaking into sport, um, you know, as people might say, cutting your teeth or learning your trade and all of those cliches. What's it like, though, in a, in a place like Newcastle that does have such a rich sporting history, especially from the sort of fandom point of view? Um, you know, you're, let's just assume you're reasonably young and impressionable. What is it actually like being put out to such a sort of hotbed? Wow, I'm glad you mentioned the Newcastle because I went up there um, in 2007, I think it was, and uh, it was one of the first things that was said to me, get your, and I can just say Newcastle, get your Newcastle off our airwaves. Yeah. So I had to practice saying Newcastle, Newcastle, um, and now I think I've got it down. What was it like? Mike, you are going to edit this, by the way. I might. Okay, fair enough. I dropped the mic. Um, and not in a good way. Uh, it's fine. Um, what was it like? It was, yeah, I was youngish, you know, 20-something, blonde, uh, in, in Newcastle. Um, I actually went up there, just to give the full story, I actually went up there as a breakfast newsreader for Smooth Radio. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. I'm still going, I think. Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, and someone said to me... Um, do does anybody want to interview Roy Keane today? And I was uh, in my youth quite a big Roy Keane fan. Uh, I was a big, big, big football fan when I was younger, um, and still am, obviously. But a big Roy Keane fan, and and like a mug, I, I the hand shot in the air. Yes, pick me. Um, and the first time I ever went, I remember speaking to my boss ahead of it, and he said, "Look, Georgie." you know, sports journalism is different to, to normal journalism. You know, if, you, if you're going to interview a, a, the police, for example, about you know, murders in the city, you're going to ask them, what are you doing about it? Why have you got things so wrong? He said, sport's different. You always focus on the positives. And I said to him, like, are, are, you, are you sure that's sort of the line of questioning I need to go down? Yep, yep, absolutely. Just ask, just ask Roy, what are the positives? So there I am. Just, just imagine it, you know, in, in one of those sort of press rooms, there's 30 wizened hacks uh, out in front, five TV cameras, a load of other people, the tea lady, and I'm up on a stage with perhaps four other radio journalists, because we have to go first, and then we leave the room, and then the written press ask questions. And um, <laughs> I said, so Roy, uh, what are the positives? And he absolutely tore into me. I think they'd just been beaten 6-1 by Everton. <laughs> Um, and he said, positives, positives, what positives do you think I can take? And I, and I, I was like, oh my God. Um, to be fair, I think I got off quite lightly. But uh, I just said to him, oh, um, well, uh, you know, a game like that can um, focus, uh, highlight areas where perhaps uh, an another game wouldn't, you know, it shows mental. I don't know what the hell I said after that. But um, that taught me never to listen to my boss in cases when it comes to Roy Keane. Um, you... I, I did get quite a lot, of, and I don't know if this is because I was young or this is because I was a woman or whatever, but um, I did get quite a lot of the journalists sort of telling me how I should be with Roy. And I think it, that experience at the start just taught me just to kind of go with your gut, go with everything that you've learned up until that point. Because, yeah, there are going to be some managers, and I've learned along the way, that do have their favourites. But Roy never did. He, he didn't want to be your friend. He didn't want to know your name. You know, he just wanted a reasonable question. And, and you know what, if I asked him a rubbish question, trust me, I asked many, you just have to have the confidence to say, ah, look, do you know what, Roy, that was a really badly worded question. I mean, often he wouldn't let you have a word in edgeways afterwards. But um, that was, I mean, it was an experience. I, honestly, 
once I'd done that interview with Roy, I used to do it every week. I'd be like, I have about, I don't know, half a day where I'd be like, yes, I'm done. I've done it. And then it would all, the dread would uh, fill again as I realized I had to do it all over again next week or that Saturday. Uh, but no, it was an incredible experience, an incredible experience. What a place Newcastle is. I have to say, you know, just the fans are spectacular the people are wonderful the place is amazing you know I was a girl from Surrey up there in Newcastle and the first time I arrived um I it was for the interview in Gateshead and there was this old lady bless her and I just thought I had no idea where I'm going and I said to her can you tell me where the radio station she said oh you know, it's all, and so I read pets. I'll take you, I'll take you pets. And bless her, like about zero miles an hour, we walked actually quite far. And I thought that sums up to me, the spirit of the Newcastle people. They are as good as people say they are. And um, I got in a bit of trouble with Newcastle fans recently over uh, the Rafa Benitez thing. And it's such a shame because, you know, I was there when the whole Mike Ashley thing kicked off. You know, I could not be more sympathetic or have had a, a greater experience than that. Because the guy that was the sports journalist proper then left and went to Sky, a guy called Pete Graves, absolutely brilliant journalist. And I took on all the things that he did. So, you know, I was covering, you know, Premier League football, uh, you know, first class cricket, uh, the, the rugby, but I was also doing the darts. I mean, I did it all. I worked seven days a week, you know, 10 hours a day, but I loved it. Honestly, one of the best jobs I've ever done. Did you fight, you mentioned, um, you know, having a sort of, older supposedly wiser heads um in the room and you know people often trying to give you advice did you feel that that was down to you being uh, a woman or was it just because you were uh, you know if you like an outsider or new did it was there any point that you felt everyone's extremely patronizing or you know did they kind of <laughs> let you get on with it John, it's really hard to to answer this because i've been thinking about this question quite a bit women in sport and look you are always going to get people that no matter what you do will be like you're a woman in sport or you're a southerner in Newcastle or whatever and I remember the first time I ever did a BBC I used to present sports shows on the BBC and the first time I ever did one within the first 10 minutes someone had written a woman on this station does that mean the death of sport on this station or something wow and I remember just thinking yeah, I literally, it's my, I've just read this as a text message. You know, my producers have read this as well. So it's a, it's a little bit embarrassing. And I thought, just such you. If you'd have written that at the end when you'd actually bothered to listen to what I had to say, all right, fair enough. But as it was at the start, you just kind of let it roll off. But in terms of were people acting like that because I was, I would never know the answer to that. It could be that I was young. It could be that, you know, there were times that I was... You know, this was my first job, so I must have asked some really daft questions. I might have come across as a bit shy, a bit vulnerable, a bit, you know, I may not have helped myself particularly well in that situation. And people responding to me as a person, not, not, not just me as a woman. Like I said, there will always be situations where people will judge you in one way or another. But, you know, I actually had a conversation with my dad about this and said, you know, I wonder if I'd have if I'd have stuck in sport and pushed it a little bit harder, had I not been a woman, he said, well, maybe, but you would have, you've also got to think about the things that have come to you as a result of being a woman. And I always say, you know, especially when I first started, you know, I think the situation is very different now. And I think it would be easier being a woman getting involved in sport. Now there are a lot more opportunities, I think, and people take you a lot more seriously. And I love the movement we're having with women's sport etc etc but back in the day when I first started you know I was quite rare and so it was it was a little bit difficult but then because I was quite rare that may have made it easier for me to get a foot in the door right what you do once you get that foot in the door is up to you but actually you know maybe there were benefits of it as well so I, it's so hard to say I can only base it on my personality and what I was like and how I did and how people responded to me. And I don't know that it would have been different for anyone else because it was just my experience. Yeah, I think that one of the things that comes up working in sport a lot is, is, the, is the barrier to entry. Um, you know, how high is that barrier? And what probably hasn't changed a huge amount, although, uh, you know, it has a little bit, is the, especially in football, is the entry for women to be considered thought leaders in the men's game 
and you know we all start off watching the same way playing in your case coaching we'll come on to that in a bit but <laughs> so the you know the the level of of knowledge the level of appreciation no one knows but the actual barrier for you to to be able to show off your skills is generally the bit that i find slightly un- annoying i mean alex scott's doing a great job but and i think she knows exactly what she's talking about she speaks well she's a great presenter blah 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 um but you know you have to do something like strictly to become even more well known to become you know it just that validated that little bit more and i think it's that barrier to entry that i'm really interested in because you know in horse racing it's pretty it's a pretty low barrier because Mm. women have been racing for a long time there's been very successful women jockeys and trainers and so on the other sports look at tennis it's always been the guys talk about the guys and the girls talk about the girls um and i think with football they just i know they're trying um i just feel like it's a little bit forced but i think it's forced because the barrier is so high and (laughs) your point about getting a message being you know derided before you've even started i think that's the biggest problem i see it on twitter i'm sure you do where The moment there's a female pundit, the whole lot of them start kicking off that, oh, this is, you know, whatever. Uh, that's what we really need to change, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think Twitter's a, a kind of separate beast in a way. I think yeah. its potential is so amazing uh, to have access. And, and look, by and large, I have a marvellous experience on Twitter. My followers are, are lovely. I mean, you'll occasionally get you know, a bit of jibing, but not really. But you know that kind of toxic uh, element will will always be there. People will find something about you that they don't like, whether it's being a woman or not. I think the problem is at the moment, as but it's much much better, is that you're picking from a much smaller pool. So yeah. the quality we have is fantastic, but bearing in mind the massive pool that you've got from men to pick from the quality is probably going to be generally a lot higher and therefore people aren't necessarily saying oh they're judging you on on being a woman they're judging you on being not as good as some of the men and that might be true well that but that's that's actually where the argument begins because you know in football specifically there it's very hard to find i find anyway a a a pundit that's going to get you off your seat and teach you something you didn't know Unlike other sports, by the way, I can watch NFL and ex-players talk all day long because I learned something. Maybe that's because I don't know as much about the game. Exactly. There are some pundits, though, on Sky Sports and others. You know, you know they're there for the payday, sure. But, you know, the enthusiasm's not there. They're not really at it. And it's just because they're an ex-player and that's what, you know, mm-hmm. they're available. Or they played for the club in question. That's where I get a bit like, well, yes, you're right. The pool is much bigger. But is the talent within that pool actually any bigger than than on the female side? But, um, well, that's the thing. Until you get the opportunity, you'll never know. Look, I'm, right. I agree with you. There are some really dire pundits. Like I'm, I'm learning absolutely nothing. Nothing. I mean, oh my god! It's just it drives me insane. I know insane. we won't we some won't name them. any names, but it, it can. No, no, be, no. Of course not. Of it course can be not. very painful at times. I mean, to the point of view that if I have people over from the States or, or elsewhere and, you know, they want to watch a game, we go out to the pub and watch it. You know, they're saying, is this guy, you know, is he awake? Mm-hmm. Like the, the enthusiasm yeah. level as well is so low. And of course the cliches come out, but I suppose we, we could get off on a sidetrack here because that's just the sport in general hasn't moved on the way others have, in my opinion. So actually talking of moving on within that sport, um, you do have uh, some coaching badges, I believe. Yeah. Um, for football. <laughs> And is that something that you did because you wanted to go into coaching and potentially further down the line management? Or was it something you did because you, <laughs> you like improving and you want to learn or, or that sort of thing? Well, I can go back a little bit further. Um, I've actually a qualified referee as well, but there was a reason that I did that. And I, whenever I think about being a woman in sport my own experience solely so anything I say is I don't know about other women obviously my own experience solely but I also think about what Christine Lagarde said about being the head of the International Monetary Fund someone said you know do you think it's a detriment being a woman 
And she said, no, it's just time consuming. <laughs> and what she meant by that is because we, and I do think, I do think that women probably at the moment, and maybe this will get to a different stage, have to know more than guys about a subject because you are coming at it on off the back foot generally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I thought at the time I'm, I'm going to do a referee course because you know, you learn about the rules of football. Obviously I knew about the rules of football, but you have a test and you're a referee. I didn't really intend on becoming a referee because I mean, I just was recovering from a major back operation. So I wasn't really going to be running anywhere, but I remember being there and I was on a course with a professional player and, uh, I think I got something like 96% in the rules of the game and he got 72 and a special CD telling him to go home and bone up on the rules of the game. So, I mean, that says absolutely nothing about how much like former players necessarily know about the rules of the game. But I did it anyway with that in mind. Why I decided to do coaching is because, um, it's a different one because I did that quite recently. I only did that last year. I took my level one coaching badge. And I think it was off the back of um, the World Cup and all of the kind of momentum, the, feet, the Women's World Cup. And I thought, I can either talk about it on air, and I was doing a business sport podcast, I can either talk about it on air and try and encourage people that way and you know, give it the chat, or I can actually do something about it. I was mad on sport when I was younger, but you know, mad to watch football. I was a Wimbledon season ticket holder, which I'm not sure goes hand in hand with being mad about football but either way I I was crazy about it and um, I feel really sad that the only opportunities I got were to do athletics netball hockey you know rounders those kind of stuff I never got the opportunity to play football and the only way we're going to get the good pundits to get the good players to up the quality of, of female sport in terms of football obviously other sport tennis netball absolutely top quality but it is by getting more girls involved. And I've been so chuffed. I don't know about you, but I'm certainly noticing in lockdown and people going out running, I'd say more women are out doing sport. So we know women want to do it, but it's like having the opportunity to go out and do it. And the problem with a lot of, let's say, um, clubs around, certainly in London, I've noticed, and I've spoken to quite a few people about this, is they simply just don't have the facilities for women, for girls. You know, there's a safeguarding issue if you don't have uh, female separate only changing rooms. So we need to get this right. But we also need to encourage girls. And, and I thought, well, do you know what? So this, I'm going to go, I'm going to get my badge and I'm only going to coach girls. And so I did. Took on a girls coaching team and obviously the coronavirus stuff hit and whatnot. But you know what? That was probably for me um, the worst it's been in terms of sexism, not from the parents. The parents were absolutely spectacular because of course you'd imagine they would be, they're getting their girls. From the other coaches, I mean, one of them even said to me, oh, I thought you were here to do shopping. Really? Shut up. Like the parents were uh, so supportive. I mean, they were saying, we don't want anyone else to coach the kids. You know, you're the best one we've had. And I'm not saying that because I'm, you know, I think I'm amazing. I don't know. I probably have so much to learn. But it was just the fact that I got so much support from them and I got such little, such little respect from the other coaches that I, if I was another woman, you know, I, I wouldn't stick around with that. Actually, I didn't want to stick around with that particular coaching group. But it's those sorts of things you just think, come on. Let's yeah. that. And, and that was something I was going to ask you about with, you know, the observations of, of, of the, 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 how the, the female coach fits in around, you know, male coaches who of course think very highly of themselves. Um, <laughs> look, I mean, I, I've got a season ticket at uh, unnamed biggest North London club and, um, you know, the pub is full of, of experts before every game and there's, there's no more righteous person than the expert who also coaches on a Sunday, uh, especially, you know, because he once had trials for Leighton Orient um, and there's a lot of them about. And it's very sad because I think you're absolutely 100% spot on. The, the way to really get uh, a more level playing field here is to give the same experience to, to both sexes, and for both sexes to have the same opportunities at, at the kind of behind the scenes stuff, which essentially coaching at, at a club level really is. Um, and it's, 
it's such a shame to hear a story like that because there'll be people listening um hopefully you will you know be inspired by hearing you who who think oh that doesn't sound much fun but you know i think things will improve only if there's a committed effort by everyone to take on these things head on right yeah absolutely but i also think that um we've got to have kind of less chat and that's why i did it in the first place less chat from the likes of the fa yeah uh, and more action you know i needed to know you know i'm pretty clued up about this sort of thing and i'm not a shy woman um but in that situation you need to have a kind of pipeline that says you know especially with new coaches because as much as we want to encourage the kids we also want to encourage the female coaches you know all I don't know about this. This is stats I've read or whatever, but they do say that the same sexes respond better to same sex teachers and coaches. So look, we do need to get more women coaches. That's absolutely for sure. And the FA need to have, like I said, a pipeline, particularly for new female coaches, that if there is a problem, there is somewhere that they feel that they can go to, to try and get it sorted out. You know, do you have another club that perhaps I can go to? Um, and all this information, support, guidance, et cetera, et cetera, because I was getting none of that from the, the coaching body that I was with, the kind of, I don't know what you call it, business. I suppose it's a business. Um, and that, that I think is a real shame because the actual coaching was absolutely brilliant. The girls were amazing. They were so keen. I, I just remember one time when it was absolutely pissing with rain, mud everywhere, and they got their fingers dipped it in the mud and you know lord of the flies-esque they just swiped it over their faces and got down to it even more and i thought yes ladies yes <laughs> that is what i want to see honestly I, I loved it and i just i think that if other women have the same experience other not just women men as well you know we, we need to encourage good quality coaches and i've heard some terrible stuff about parents you know being pretty brutal to you know other girls but also other guy coaches as well and and we need to sort that out as well parents look you said there's nothing worse than a coach who thinks then you know had a trial at letting or whatever there's nothing worse than a parent on the sideline that thinks that their kid is of course you know the next messy um whew, god forbid you, the, you ever decide not to play them well look i yeah we've experienced that in in all sorts of different sports over the years i think that the bit that gets me is potentially what uh, bodies like the FA and others are are missing out on as well. Like you can't, you you don't know of someone's. I mean, this goes back to to your start in Newcastle. Like you don't know someone's ability until they're they've done it, and hence you know say yes to things all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's the same to 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 me. I think it's it's sad that potentially we're missing out on the on on a different viewpoint on a number of things. I mean, there's no way of knowing, of course, but. Um, there could be uh, an unbelievable football mind out there amongst a female sort of coaching fraternity who've who've got ideas that none of us have even thought about before. And um, I think that that's the great shame of it. And of course, there's no test to take to show how good you're going to be at things. You've just got to be given an opportunity and um, take it on. So look, I hope... But you Very too, much. I think, yeah, I agree with you. I think there needs to, there needs to, there needs to be uh, absolutely opportunities there. But you also need to be given the confidence or have the confidence to take them. You know, it, like when I said about the yes, I, I really, really learned this. I, I'm not really sure why I did this, but in 2017, actually, I do know, um, the radio station I was working for at the time was, was clearly going under. And I just, I'd been asked to give a speech for the Financial Times on what it takes to be a top female financial broadcaster. And bearing in mind, I'd only been a financial broadcaster for not that very long. So I was, uh, you know, thinking, what the hell can I say? <laughs> and I think I started it by that going, look, when I know, I'll let you know what it takes. But from that point on, I decided, you know what, this year, I'm going to say yes to every work opportunity that comes my way. Caveats being obviously, you know, if you're contracted to do something, but you know, little jobs I'm talking about here. And some of them were not little jobs. I mean, presenting a 45 minute live show on Asian equities when about, you know, an hour before you have to Google what Asian equities are. (laughs) But I was doing stuff for Sky Sports on on something called Touch Tennis. I'd never heard of that before. Um, But I had to say, yes, I gave speeches. I gave um, after dinner speeches. Oh God, I had a story about Roy Keane that went down 
terribly in a bunch of in a room with um sort of 78 year old women but anyway um i thought it was great uh, uh, but you learn so much i learned about the things that i didn't like the things i loved i love public speaking i love radio that's my first love um i, I learned the things i wasn't good at and i learned i made peace with myself about the things i w- wasn't great at first time you will never be great at something first time i mean you might be pretty good but if you take that attitude of, yeah, I can just nail this first time, you've got, what's the point? You've got nothing yeah. to learn. You've nothing to build on. And I learned so much about just you know what people are looking for when you're, about, when you're hosting an event. And I host quite a lot of live events, you know, in front of big crowds and all that sort of thing. And what the people who are organizing it want, because they're absolutely running around like blue ass fries, you know, getting nervous as hell they just want you to go do you know what? i've got this it's absolutely fine i've got this don't worry honestly you worry about what you've got to worry about even if inside you're thinking oh my god and i think we need to have a bit more of that and i wonder and i could be wrong i wonder if men are perhaps a little bit more like yeah i've got this i'm just gonna go for this whereas women but just to hold themselves a little bit more you know all those stats that say that if there's a job job interview or a job opportunity women will make sure that they've got 100 percent of all the things on the list while men will only say that they've got 60 and still go for it it's that kind of attitude <laughs> yeah but you do need to take responsibility for yourself you know i've learned that the hard way now you know how many years on from newcastle i think if i'd have gone into newcastle now it would have been a very different story but then that's called the joy of growing old, I think, and experience and confidence that comes with it. The joy, indeed, the joy. Um, that's, I like the fact that you mentioned radio being your first love there because I wanted to talk to you. Um, you know, this is slightly outside the confines of, of sport particularly, but it's about content and broadcast and where we're heading. The podcasting as we're doing one now um is anyone can do it it's easily accessible um we can reach many many thousands if not more people uh, quickly if we if we know how to promote fairly well how do you think radio is going to stand up over the next few years against the podcast onslaught especially the sort of ultra niche micro podcasts about you know extremely obscure things that have loyal fan bases is the do you feel like the sort of generalist radio is going to be able to cope with that? Or do you think those radio stations are going to have to narrow down or niche down themselves? Uh, it's, it's, it's a good question. The problem that I think that radio is facing is not necessarily how people will turn off because radio offers something very different. It is live, it is personable, it is, you don't know what's going to happen, newsy, it's of the moment, etc. Podcasts are very different, very different. And you need to see the two as different. And I think often people don't. And what we're seeing is certain big radio stations just try and save money. And in reality, that's what they're doing at the moment, sadly, are kind of cannibalizing themselves by turning themselves into podcasts. So you're overestimating perhaps the influence of podcasts which i actually think listenership hasn't changed as much in like a decade i think it's it is in it don't get me wrong it is increasing but i still think radio is still very beloved by people and people are still listening but the problem is yeah people are perhaps overestimating what you call the onslaught of podcasts or the changing media and changing it accordingly rather than letting natural changes occur, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think uh, I get what you mean. Are we destroying radio, basically, to fit what we think people will like? But actually, it isn't really. It's something called Amari's Law, I think, which means that we always overestimate technology in the short term and underestimate it in the long term. And I think this is what we're doing at the moment. Some equilibrium will be reached as to, to podcasts because there's so many I mean, it's people only have a certain amount of time in the day for all yeah. this content that's coming at them. What's wonderful about radio is it's a really passive medium. You can have it on in the background. Podcast is what you said. It's a lot more niche. People want to sit down, dedicate an hour and listen to it. But when everybody's competing, you know, the breakthrough to make a success, I don't know whether that guy or gal in their pants in their bedroom is is going to cut it anymore unless you are spectacularly lucky or unless you do it as a suite of measures and this is where i think everything's going is integration 
Yeah, so you're having podcasts that are becoming TV, that are becoming, you know, radio. Whenever I do radio now for, for example, talk radio, it's all on TV. Yeah. Which is such a nightmare because you have to make yourself look good. I like the fact in radio you could look like a total bum and no one cares because you can just sound really <laughs> smooth if that's what you want to do. Um, yeah. uh, but now you actually have to, to, you know, put on a bit of makeup and brush your hair, which is a nightmare. Um, but yeah, I think it's integration. And I think this absolute desperation for eyeballs is uh, in some regard changing the, what we're putting out there. And I say that as someone that, that writes um, the SEO, the search engine optimization that people are so desperate to get in their articles is actually fundamentally changing how you write your articles. Oh, I'm not saying necessarily yeah. for me, I've got a lot more latitude because I'm, I'm with big organizations, but that is, I mean, that's a worry as well. Well, and you know, we are uh, as a as a, a blog. Well, we're named as a blog. I mean, we've probably outgrown that title a bit now. But yeah, look, every every article that's submitted to us or 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 people that want to write for us that we that we pay, of course, the SEO is is one of the top top requirements because, as you say, the battle for the eyeball is so intense. It just won't get seen unless it's written in a certain way, and the days of dropping a link on Twitter or Facebook have also gone in terms of picking up meaningful traffic. And of course that traffic drives revenue and whether you're able to do these projects. And um, it's great that you brought up the integration because that's, I think the nail on the head. I mean, that's why we do this podcast because it fits well with our subject matter on the blog and uh, the SEO, you know, dovetails between the two and it's not like we're putting all of our eggs into a podcast basket. It's complementary, and it's not so labor intensive that we can't do it. Um, I think if I were to launch just a podcast now and try and find, I mean, I've had a few ideas for some interesting ones that aren't out there, but as you say, how much time do we have? I mean, I don't know about you, but I, you know, I've, I've re not replaced fully, but I'd say at 75 replaced my like driving radio with podcasts. Like it depends what's on. If it's like live sport, of course I'll listen, but you know, if not, I'll line up uh, some podcasts in the queue. If I've got like a two hour drive and listen to something I really want to listen to rather than sort of play radio roulette. Um, <laughs> well, cause sometimes like you get in the car and it's a dream day. Like I love cricket and if test match specials on and it's a sunny day, right yeah, my drive beats that. oh it's just perfect but if it's a shitty day there's nothing on like that uh sometimes i can you know get a bit tired of the humdrum of of some of the radio stations so it, i guess it again it comes down to personal preference and do you find that also your your live broadcasts are then being condensed into podcast format and put out you know asap is that are you are you aware of that when you're, you're recording, sorry, that you know, this is also going to be podcast content as well? Um, not really. On the radio, yeah, I know that they do. Um, the radio shows that I'm on, they tend to, to podcast it out or they'll put the whole streaming online or people can watch it live. To be honest, I don't, once I've said what I've said, I don't really think too much about what happens to it what they do with it is up to them but i uh, i do know that there is a drive when you spoke about radio there to do more tv i know that the bbc tried it with five live and then they stopped that it can be quite expensive but i know certainly the new talk radio i'm on there as well are going to be filming this and as you know an adjunct to that you then get separate tv shows as it were on youtube and they're also i mean what was I did one recently, as I said, Plank of the Week. And um, it got something like 50,000 views mm -hmm. on YouTube. Which, I mean, that's extraordinary. So when you take that with a suite of live radio, they also have a podcast. Social media presence is absolutely essential as much as I'm not the greatest fan of kind of the self-promotion, look at me culture. Sadly, you know, people are buying you. And this is anything, anything that you are wanting to sell. People want to buy people as much as content. And I'm trying to think of an analogy for this. Content is king, but chemistry, I think, is just as important. 
if you've got a podcast and this i think is why the podcast i do for this is money is is so successful it's got great content but i've been working with these lads for six years we kind of do it like i mean i bring in my sporting background to it to try and make it more entertaining lighter so it doesn't feel like you're having people talk to you about i don't know your pension or something we do it in a real way and i think people are forgetting to do that quite a lot but yeah it's the sweet and it's it's chemistry personality yeah couldn't agree more um we're not going to take up too much more of your time because i expect you've got all sorts of more exciting things to be doing um i'm off on holiday well that is not allowed Um, well it probably won't be as i'll probably get my flight cancelled i have to say i'm a little bit nervous but uh there you go well Well, i think you're you're definitely one of the lucky ones. I think a lot of us are going bonkers trying to find a way of getting away or even, I mean, maybe this will come up in one of your um, money podcasts, but mm. because of, of um, the amount of well travel restrictions and people nervous about travel insurance and the rest holidaying in the UK this year is, is no cheap feat. No. By the looks of it. I, I looked at a hotel yesterday on the South coast and my god i mean i could i could stay in the dorchester for a week for the same as two or three nights um yeah staycationing has never been that cheap but now I right mean, yeah and you've also got to bear in mind exactly what you said there i've just sort of gone off on a tangent there about holidays and stuff but the holiday that you're going to have is probably not the holiday that you had in mind no. so, so i'm going to spain i understand that i'll have to wear a mask everywhere the flight might get cancelled i could go into lockdown and not be able to get home so i'm just preparing myself taking all my audio equipment and this is i think you're talking about where things are going lockdown will have sped up so quickly the the path that we were already heading down in terms of technology i've been very lucky i've been able to do all of my work and that's tv you know webinars podcasts obviously writing articles, everything from home. And I think that is, that is going to continue. So while I, I mentioned there about, you know, the person in their pants in their bedroom, or whatever, you know, actually the, the barriers to entry just get lower and lower and lower with this technology. So if you know how to use it and you're sensible and you have a suite of measures, actually you can turn something small into something pretty successful. If you know what you're doing, do your research. Yeah, and I think the, the the what it provides you is this safety net of consistency that you know ten years ago maybe a bit more something like this would have would have knocked out the consistency and you know for someone like myself although our you know our main work in, in racing has been drastically affected yeah. um, the other stuff um, that I like to do I, I've been able to do and it is if it wasn't for the tech it just wouldn't be possible. Um, so just before you do go, um, we speaking about earlier, you said you had a season ticket at Wimbledon. One of my <laughs> prouder moments recently is that I do have a 14 year old journalist who, it's a long story, but approached me to, to help him out and, and, and do a bit of mentoring. And he's just written a, a, a really good piece on AFC Wimbledon, or at least the, the first part um there's a few more parts to come where he talks to players and coaches and everything um that's a remarkable story and uh i really you know i knew i knew of it i knew that the club was owned by the fans um i didn't know to you know to the full extent of of how these guys and girls got it to where they are today um remarkable story did you have you followed that since you you know used to be a season ticket holder there have you have you remained a supporter of <laughs> either of the the two Wimbledon branches of football club um I'm not sure what the either is it's just AFC Wimbledon now uh, I, I did I was in the Joe Kinnear era and around about then back in the day so very strange when Joe Kinnear came up to Newcastle um of course yeah Joe oh my god anyway but fan it's probably the first time he's ever been fangirled in his life to be honest <laughs> um I hope he's all right at the moment um no I, look, so I went to the story about but with Wimbledon is I, I grew up in a very sporty household. Um, my dad and his side of the family is Derby, um, although his dad is West Ham. So my brother is West Ham. So it's all quite fractured. And my mum's side is Millwall. So I was stuck between 
well, I don't if a rock and a hard place being West Ham and Millwall, I don't know where Derby came into it. Um, <laughs> a rock and a couple of hard places. But I was 12, 13 years old, uh, I think I was 12, and my sister wanted to go to football and I wanted to go to football too. But she really drove it and she wanted to go to Crystal Palace, but Crystal Palace were in the first division at the time. And um, my dad was like, nah, you want to go to Wimbledon? Because it was our, our nearest team. And, you know, as young girls, you don't want to be going too far on your own. And so that, that really was why we started to go to Wimbledon. And I went for years um and then i went off to university uh and wimbledon went defunct and then phoenix from the flames but by which stage you know i was up in newcastle i was doing sports journalism and it was only actually having a conversation with sean wright phillips actually the other day that he said i said you know i just haven't found a spiritual home ever since you know i've sort of flirted with fulham when i was living there i went to quite a few games and he said it's because your team died I thought, yeah, that's quite emotional, but it's true. It's yeah. true. The team that I loved as a kid, I've got Georgie 16 on a Wimbledon shirt when my dad <laughs> gave it to me. Um, I, I, I always think if ever I have kid, ever have kids, the most wonderful thing would be to take them to sports with me, to, to football, to get them to love a team. This is why I don't like this. The, the way that I'm sensing sport is going, especially football, in the kind of tourist, you know, hiking. I'm full of have been experiencing that quite a lot hiking up tickets to get the tourists in no 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 sport is so much more than that football clubs are so much more than that they're like the bonds that bind people together I have a story and I'm going to tell you this story because it sums up to me what football means I was in Fulham and I was living there and I was I went to volunteer at a food bank and it was my first day and a guy came in and uh, he sat down and he was quite nervous. And, um, you know, there's me trying to impress, you know, I'm trying to do my thing. Do you want a cup of tea and all this sort of thing? And I said, so, you know, how's it going? Where are you from? He, he said, oh, I'm from Africa. And I said, oh, all right. Um, he said, and I said, you know, did you miss your family? And then he said, all my family died in the genocide. Only me and my mum were left. And I thought, bloody hell, where the hell do you go with that? So I said to him, Chelsea fan. Um, I don't know why. It was a bit it was a bit bold, I'm not gonna lie. But he looked at me, looking at him, not like a refugee or someone in a food bank, but as a man. And for an hour we sat and we talked about football. And I thought that is the thing that is so special about sport and how it combined people who come from completely different worlds, you know, middle class Georgie. And this guy here who's walked into a food bank. That is what is so sublime about football. That was my little story. And I just wanted to tell you that. Well, that's a great story. And um, I, yeah, I appreciate you telling us. That. So really in terms cool. of the club that I like now, just to go back to that, it's got to be Derby because um, I, I, my dad, so my, I'll tell you this story as well. God, it's all about stories. But I did mention this to you before we started talking that I didn't speak to my dad for five years for various family reasons he left my mom and you know stuff happens when you're young and you realize as you get older that your parents are fallible um just like everybody else and and I started to speak to my dad and he's the greatest person in my life absolutely love him and we've been going to Derby quite a lot but it was also quite difficult with my other siblings so I basically spent an absolute fortune over the years trying to get uh my siblings and my dad talking to it by going to sport and my brother and my dad are like so tight now and this again is like the joy of sport bringing people together because we now have this kind of mutual connection and my dad is a derby season ticket holder along with his brother and so as much as I can just to get to see him and my brother and now my nephew because my dad has indoctrinated my seven-year-old nephew the poor sod um we try and get up and it is it's brought our family together in a way that i wish we'd have done that when we were younger but yeah we're all happy families now it's marvelous every christmas and all that spent together brilliant well but anyway a lot of that's got to do with sports so thank you very much to sport it's been the love of my life and it always will be well and, and um yeah i can i can empathize it certainly does bring families together and, uh, you know, one of the few things I do like about still going to the games, um, yeah, look, our club has the tourist trap probably more than anyone. Um, but I do like 
going because I do see people that I've been going to, you know, with, yeah. for 20 something years and their kids growing up and all the rest of it. And that's nice of it. One other thing that brings people together mm. generally there are those that are not a fan, but generally people like dogs. They like looking at dogs, right. pictures yeah. of dogs. What is your favorite dog? We ask everyone this on the podcast. Um, it's a psycho analytical thing. Oh, um, I can't say the real dog? thing then. Um, I have two. Can I say two? Cause they're yeah, based yeah. on the dogs that I grew up with when I was little. Yeah. Um, a black Labrador was my auntie's dog and my uncle had a rottweiler and wow. i remember uh, i remember i can feel it now i can remember being so small and him putting his uh, paws over my shoulders and pretty much covering me but i <laughs> wow. never ever felt scared he was just the most glorious dog kind and you know oh, i love that dog i uh, it was my first bereavement i was 7 when blue died and I don't think I've ever cried so much at a death. No disrespect to any of my grandparents or anything. I love them very much too. But um, that was my first bereavement and that, woof, that hit me hard. Yeah, I can so probably Rottweiler or a Black Lab. Nice, very good. So yeah. what does um, that psychologically say about me? Well, the, the interesting thing is a lot of people do answer about the ones they remember growing up. There are others who have answered us who are much more specific because you know they'll look at it from the life point of view and i do this so i need the dog to be able to do that or you get other people that have just very nostalgic and you can't you know there's nothing that's going to tell them that uh, their childhood dog isn't the best type of dog you could possibly have so it's just interesting because everyone has a different opinion you know if you said to someone who was slightly nervous of dogs and you said oh this rottweiler put its hat they'd make oh my goodness me a rottweiler is so massive and yet your first memory is, is how gentle it was and so on. So it's just a fascinating study in how people think sometimes. And um, yeah. look, the Black Lab is obviously a crowd favorite. Um, so you're in good I'm not daft. I'm not going to go up to any old Rottweiler now and go, hello. Well, I might do, <laughs> I might do but I'll, hopefully it'll be on a leash. <laughs> um, right. Talking of that, I'm going to take the dog out. Um, and I'm going to let you get on with your day. Georgie, thanks very much for joining us thank I you for having me we'll try and do is catch up again maybe towards the end of the year or, or something like that and um see how things go with the restart of the premiership season and, and all those sorts of other things and um marvelous we'll look forward to talking to you then absolutely come on derby okay see you later <laughs> cheers bye bye <laughs>